Welcome to the 401k Marketing Podcast. Are you ready to be the go-to expert in the retirement plan community? Listen in as we share ideas, resources, and best practices that you can use to professionalize your firm, demonstrate your authority, and earn more 401k business. Hi, everyone. I don't think Fred Barnstein needs a long introduction because any of us who's been in this industry for more than a couple days, we know who he is. So I'm so excited to welcome someone who I have considered a mentor for many years. And I hope maybe, Fred, now I can also call you a friend. Yes, of course. (laughs) So this today is not going to be our normal podcast. This is going to take a very interesting and different turn. And one thing... And I think this is public knowledge. Fred spends 30 days every year in a silent meditation. And he thinks about some of the most interesting thoughts ranging from the conservative to the wild. And in this podcast, I think everyone might find today's dialogue to be very riveting and a very big departure from what we currently live in our current industry. So let's open it up for the conversation. And just talk about how prepared, how important is it to be prepared for the future? You know, even if it doesn't happen, are we better off being prepared or not? And today's conversation is about what if 401k fees go to zero? Yeah, it's it's a great question because it's almost like that shoemaker's uh, children, um, they don't have shoes. Advisors are always telling their clients to be prepared for the future, right? Prepare for retirement. Oh, I'm never going to retire. Well, what happens if you get sick? What happens if you lose your job? Your company goes out of business. You need to be prepared. What's insurance? You know, what's the likelihood you're going to get an earthquake, but you know, you still get insurance. But then advisors, I find they don't do it for themselves. They're not preparing. And I think that it's critical for advisors, especially now, because our industry, I've been in the industry over 25 years, it's moving at a really very, very fast pace because of the convergence of wealth and retirement and benefits at the workplace. And all of these factors, you know, with the changing of technology and AI and all of that is having dramatic changes. And advisors, I find for the most part, record keepers too, are clinging to the past and they're hoping it doesn't change. It's a great book called The Innovator's Dilemma. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's a book or a paper. Uh, Harvard professor Clayton Christensen is the incumbents generally don't make the transition when there's a major change from like you know, computers, you know, when it goes to client server, to desktop, to notebook, to mobile, right? You don't see the same companies. So I think it's critical. And I think that the advisors that prepare, it won't be a waste, even if it doesn't happen. I completely agree. And preparing takes a ton of courage to think about what's happening in the future. And courage is scary. It's scary, it's new clients, it's new skill sets, and it's not as profitable at the beginning. So it's, you know, you say, then why should I do it? And that stops most people. Mm -hmm. So as we 
Look ahead five years. How do you see record keepers working with participants and possibly competing with advisors? Yeah, I think we've we've seen it from the beginning. You know, there are firms, and I'm not going to call out Fidelity because Fidelity is very clear. You know, like Fidelity, that have always seen the participant as an opportunity. We're seeing more because record keeping fees have gone down quite a bit, and the consolidation initially consolidation you get scale and the costs go down dramatically. But as you get up of 5 million, 10 million participants, that decreasing cost gets smaller and smaller. Record keepers have always, many of them, proprietary products, stable value, target date. Participants are just another source of revenue. And when you have 80 million participants and we're expecting a 50% growth in 401k plans over the next eight or nine years, which means more participants, it's hard not to look at the participant. But what that does, unlike target date funds or investments um, or other services, the advisors are seeing the same opportunity. So it's potentially pitting them against each other. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a problem as long as the rules are clear and transparent and everyone feels good. I mean, the advisors that like, you know, CapTrust will always say, we're happy to compete with the record keepers. We think we have an advantage. And then we hear advisors moaning about, oh, this record keeper is competing against me. They're going after my participants. And more times than not, I'll say, okay, well, can you work with the participants? And they're like, no, but I don't want the record keeper to do it. <laughs> so it is going to be a, a very competitive, It just we just need to have the rules, the dialogue, and and make sure that we do play. Now, if there are rules and then people violate those rules, um, that's where the issues come into. So why do you think this shift towards participant services, you mentioned the great convergence of retirement and wealth. You know, if you got out your crystal ball, like why do you think this is happening? Well, the reality is that 401k plans are an illusion, right? All they are is individual participant accounts, right? They're changing daily, probably mm -hmm. minute by minute, right? It's like the universe, right? It's one account's going up, one account's going down, somebody's contributing. And then we have 401k because it makes sense to pool everybody together, right? Because now we get better, you know, you can't buy a mutual fund, uh, 35 cents worth of a mutual fund in a payroll, right? So... Now we're finally getting to reality. The reality is each of these 401k plans are made up of participant accounts. And, you know, the record keeping systems and, you know, we'll talk about the technology. It's omnibus record keeping, right? It's like pulling them all together. Eventually we're going to get to, okay, well, there's actually people there. Um, I have a relationship with those people. I have their money. I have data about them, not a lot and not of it, all of it's clean. So it's, it's just an obvious opportunity out there. Why is it happening now? The technology's getting better. There's consolidation. So now the firms that are there have more resources and more capital there's fee compression, you know, which, you know, has slowed down 
but it's you know anyone i'll be happy to argue anyone who takes the position advisor and record keeper fees are going to go up in the next five years right i'll take the other side of that argument i think they're going to go down how much you know that's you know that we can debate so uh, those are the three reasons the consolidation fee compression and the enormous obvious opportunity so this brings me back to many moons ago now when i was a young financial advisor and i learned about the honestly it was the k through 12 space right and i was given coaching back then that you can be, I think the term was appointed in the school system, and then you right. could work with some of those uh, people who worked in that in that school district. So, if we kind of rewind the clock back, we go to the historical K through twelve space, where you know at the time I was twenty one or two, you know, where any advisor can really walk into again that historical school system and then work directly with those employees. Do you think we're kind of going? back to that style of model where any advisor can now work with any participant in a modern 401k plan? They can now, right? I mean, the participants can hire an advisor without their permission of their employer, right? Um, now, they can't, you know, go to the cafeteria of the employer or go to that employer and get, you know, the either the recommendation or the data on that, but they can do it now. And it's going to, you know, with technology, it's going to become easier and easier, you know, embedded financial apps. Um, mm -hmm. You know, those are, those are happening on it. So I have a very strong opinion about the K through 12 because my daughter uh, was a teacher. And I have to say that it's close to criminal, that system. You know, the fees they're charging, the conflicts of interest, the lack of disclosure, the lack of fiduciary. And I would say to anyone out there who's defending the current system, they should be ashamed of themselves. But there is that people are getting access to an individual advisor and people that would normally not couldn't afford or aren't attractive enough to your traditional financial advisors they have. But I don't think it's a justification for maintaining, you know, uh, fees and the fees that are happening. And also, you know, the surrender charges and the brokers that are working for the providers and holding themselves out as advisors. It's, it's, as I say, it's it's close to criminal and multi-vendor, as we see in the 401k and 403b, and even now in the 457, it's it's not good. It's not good having a multi-vendor system. So hopefully that'll change. But to answer your question, yes, I think it is going to be where, but it won't be through the, the employer is not going to say, we're going to open it up to all advisors, our workplace, but they can do it now. You know, and it's not going to need the permission necessarily of the employer. Um, so also, when you think about, we started our podcast with the the big open question of what if 401k plan, 401k fees go to zero? So how likely do you think it is that 
advisors and record keepers will actually stop charging for planned services, kind of a giveaway, kind of like tax planning a lot of us use today as a giveaway. Given the convergence of wealth, retirement, and kind of benefits in the in the workplace. It's happening already. There are many record keepers that'll almost give away the record keeping if you use their stable value or their target date funds. Give you an example we heard of one of the large aggregator firms. Um, $1.3 billion plan charged $35,000 for the plan fees, which is... That hurts my soul. A third of a basis point. And it's like, why even bother? It's not worth the uh, expense. But saying there are 10,000 employees and you can get two and a half, three percent 3% as wealth clients, that's a $2.5 million revenue opportunity if you can do it. So it's happening already. I don't think people are going to want to willingly give up the revenue. And it also, it could feel like a bad look, like, oh, you know, I'm going to charge you nothing, but this is what I want. Now, on the other hand, ESOP providers, you Mm -hmm. know, and there's some big providers there, Fidelity, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, UBS, pretty much give away the administrative services in order to get access to the participants in the ESOP plan, stock option plan for wealth opportunities. So as long as everyone's transparent about what's going on and why they're doing it, I got, um, I wrote a column recently about this and it's like, mm-hmm. well, that means if we go to zero, there's going to be conflicts of interest and overcharging. Why? If everybody knows what's going on and saying, hey, listen, I can charge you much less for them. Because in reality, the participants are paying for the plan fees anyway, right? So it's, I mean, there are, you know, a very, very few small percentage of plan sponsors that write a check to the record keeper and the advisor, but I would say that's uh, the exception. So they're already paying for it. What's of more value to the participant, the plan services or the individual wealth and you know, other services that they might might provide, uh, student loan, emergency savings, things like that. Do you think the way that we got here is because planned fees have been so historically complicated, no one really understood them. And now 40, 50, 50 years later, we're trying to uncouple everything and explain them. And it's more challenging than it probably should be. Well, I think the transparency caused fees to go down, right? When people don't know what they're paying, you know, then it always can be cheap, right? And we knew, you know, there were insurance companies 20 years ago, record keepers going out saying, hey, the plan's free. Um, But it wasn't. There were embedded charges. In fact, I had that from a K through 12, a broker I was talking to with, with my daughter in one of those programs. And it started out saying, hey, your plan is free. I'm like, great. Do you charge 12B1 fees? Yes. Who gets those? We do. Okay. So no, I think that the transparency led to a decline and it is complicated. I've never met one plan sponsor who read their 408B2 And of that small percentage you have, no one has understood what they are. So, but we are getting because of the good work of advisors uh, Mm -hmm. interpreting it. But that, that I don't think that's causing it. 
it's just part of the process. And it is when I do explain to plant sponsors and we educate a thousand plant sponsors a year and I talk about revenue sharing, they look at it and I go, why do they do that? And it doesn't feel good. So we need more transparency. And and I'm all for, you know, with plan fees going to zero, I'm not trying to hide the P. I'm not saying I'm not recommending people should, oh, it's zero, don't worry about it. No, it's this is how we make money. You have to explain that. We do that at TPSU. You know, how can people go to a program and not pay anything? And not have it be a marketing and um, sales pitch. And we explain how. And then they go, okay, yeah, I'm good with that. So <laughs> people are smart, even though they don't know Arissa. Just because you know Arissa doesn't make you smart. So let's uh, dive into technology. Because as yeah. we, you know, data is the new you know, oil in our <laughs> our society today. So can you elaborate on the ways in which technology needs to improve on record keeper platforms so that way they can better serve individuals who either can't afford an advisor or who just don't want uh, the help of a professional advisor? Yeah. So the major record keepers, um, the big traditional ones, are working on technology that was built in the 1990s. And you think about how technology has changed in the last five years, it's like almost unrecognizable when you go back 30 years. And so that, but it's also very hard to change. And somebody who's got five, 10, 15 million participants and goes through a change, I'm going to make a total change in my system is just very daunting. It's Mm. expensive enough to maintain the systems. It's almost, and that's why we're seeing the FinTech record keepers, a couple of them, especially Guideline and Veswell, who built their own record keeping systems Mm -hmm. from scratch, having real success in smaller plans where providers, most traditional advisors, absent the payrolls, uh, they've done pretty well. Uh, have struggle with profitability. It can take them a while. So that's where we start with. And the reason that we we need it is because we need the data safely. Data is the new oil, right? I love the Matt uh, McConaughey uh, commercial where he's a cowboy and he mm-hmm. goes, "If if AI is the new frontier, does that make data the new gold? Um It is. Uh, Data is the new gold. It's much more valuable than actually money uh, out there. So we need it because we need to integrate with wealth and benefit systems. Um, We need to integrate with those smart HR systems, which are wonderful, right? We're still like struggling with payroll integration, which is critical if we want to do the ideal plan and the auto plan. We need to integrate with the systems that wealth advisor and wealth advisory shops, you know, the invest nets and the desktop reporting and the integration of the wealth. And and we need to be able to look at all of the assets and, um, and the debt and, you know, of the participants through different um, data sources, but also different systems. The technology is not, is a big inhibitor in that because of the old um, base. How many years in the future do you think we'll have a dashboard like that? 
we have it now, but it's just not every record keeper, right? The fintechs have it, or they, Mm -hmm. you know, have that ability to do it. I guess the question is, how long in the future will it become ubiquitous? And I would say it'll take probably at least three years, but, you know, probably like with five years uh, to do it. The the what's happening, what's what's stressing the system, the DC system, record keeping and advisors, where they've been insulated because they, you know, it's hard to get in the DC system. There's lots of regulations that technology is difficult. Mm-hmm. You got to get permission of the plan sponsor to do everything. You know, and the distribution system is very, very difficult. You know, you got to pay to be on this record keeping system, this aggregator, yeah. uh, this broker dealer, you gotta have the right revenue share. So all of those things have sort of kept us protected like a moat, but there's a tsunami coming of the wealth of the convergence. And the in, the three big factors are the massive explosion of small of of plans because of the secure 2.0 the government mandates facilitated by peps mm-hmm. the convergence of wealth and retirement and benefits at the workplace and the potential and i think pretty obvious need for retirement income so those things you know it's the immovable force and you know irresistible force the immovable object has been the dc system the irresistible force is much greater and it will take it over and you know there's a, a famous line from bob dylan he not busy being born is busy dying right and you just got to start getting ready because it's happening it, and if you don't want to you know you can deny it but that's not a good business strategy can we talk about you mentioned already like secure secure act and requirements um the state mandated IRA plans. Let's kind of talk about the growth of plans holistically and other outsourced plan and fiduciary services. So how do you think this is going to influence costs throughout the industry? I think that on the one hand, you know, we're we're seeing a lot what the the commoditized services, fees, funds, and fiduciaries, mm-hmm. those are going to continue to go down. But as advisor fees in the retirement plan advisor space and record keeping have gone down, the wealth management fees have not mm-hmm. because they're adding value and they're continuing to do more than just pick the hottest stock, create a financial plan. They're now like, what's your life like? What are your goals? What's your family like? What does your spouse want to do? You know, it's more of a psychologist and they continue to add value. So there are gonna be very, very valuable services. Participants, people are willing to pay for things that add value. You know, look at our own lives, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And um, they're willing to share data if they get something in return, but they don't wanna pay for commoditized things, you know, things that are just, like I say, the fees funds fiduciary, you know, the the triple F advisor is the walking dead. But on the other hand, the advisor who can say, I can help participants. I can help them to select the right benefits. I can help them with student loans and emergency savings. I can help them with retirement income. You know, people will pay for that. You know, it's valuable. Definitely. Absolutely. 
So how will the decrease in plan fees impact new competitors, new entrants into our space, and force potentially advisors to look at or reprice old plans? So even if, you know, folks say, no way, plan fees are going to zero, cannot happen, could not happen. What steps do you think should be taken to physically, emotionally, spiritually prepare for the possibility? Well, I think that the declining fees attracts money and new competitors, right? Because they're like, okay, there's efficiencies here that need to be, you know, we, I, I just listened to a, a retire holics, uh, podcast uh, or program with Charlie Nelson, and they were just ripping on the fintechs. They're never going to make any money. Their business model is flawed. It's doomed. And in some ways, they're right. In some ways, they're wrong. There's a billion dollars that's gone into funding these record keeping. And if I was like going to bet, like, who's right? The billion dollars in private equity or the retireholics? Um, I'm probably going to bet the retire. And so there's something there and they're seeing it and they're not seeing it like, oh, we can make a lot of money on plan fees, right? They're making it on other services. For advisors, the competition are the wealth advisors, right? There's 275,000 wealth advisors that don't focus on the 401k. There are 12,000 that focus on defined contribution. Okay, so you got 12,000 versus 275. And now they're motivated because they see they have a client who owns or manages a business that's asking for help. They don't want another advisor to disrupt that relationship. And they see the opportunity. Can I get a two, three, four, five additional wealth clients at $10,000, $15,000 a pop? That's the competition. And they'll say, yeah, you know, that $2,500 fee that I might charge for a startup or a small plan, who cares? Will they go into the larger plans? Probably not, you know. Um, but then the advisors, in terms of the competition, you're seeing the large consulting firms, institutional, start coming to down market. You know, why did Aon buy NFP? Is that a trend? Uh, because mm -hmm. the margins up on the institutional have shrunk, which is why they went to the OCIO. All right. Last question for today. Let's zoom ahead. 10 years, 2034. Kind of hurts when you say that. What does the 401k industry look like? And what does workplace retirement savings look like? Yeah, so I want to give you one word, blockchain. The blockchain, and which is, I'm not talking about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. I'm talking about the technology. If blockchain allows each participant, all the data and everything safely encrypted, and the record-keeping systems, it's doesn't have to be this massive central database. It's almost decentralized. Mm. And there are two big firms that are betting on blockchain, um, smart firms, Franklin Templeton and Fidelity. So I think it's it, it becomes more of, and you know, we have this mobile workplace, right? People move, jobs. 
right? We have this transferability, uh, portability service network, you know, mm -hmm. that six of the largest record keeper joined to allow for auto yep. uh, transfer. Yep. It becomes very, very easy. And we overcome the technology issues that we're facing, the data security issues. And it now allows us to work with the individual participants and look at them as a unique, you know, every employee, every participant, a market. They're all different, right? And they're all neat. We, does anybody say we're not going into more personalization? I don't think anybody has said that. So blockchain. Fascinating. Fascinating. All right, Brad, any last closing words before we conclude today's podcast? All I would just say is, you know, be prepared. Do for yourself what you tell your clients to do. Even if it's, you know, I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but I'm saying it's possible. And do you want to be in a position to say, you know, I didn't prepare. And what's that cost? And can they actually do it? I, I think it's worth the investment. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining today's podcast. And for future podcasts, please subscribe and listen to the 401k marketing podcast. Thanks again, Fred. Appreciate your contribution. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to today's 401k marketing podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of our guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of 401k marketing. The content has been available for informational and educational purposes only. We hope you enjoyed.